Well, okay, welcome, college football fans. Uh, my name is Peter Schmitz, and and to my left is my son Alex Schmitz. Hello. And uh, this is the inaugural uh, podcast that we're going to try to uh, start today. Uh, today is June third of 2015. Ironically, the day of uh, a major tornado in the town that I grew up in many, many years ago. <laughs> oh, really? June third, 1980. Yep. And anybody that knows that date might be from my town. We'll, we'll get to that later. But um, the purpose of our podcast is uh, we're going to call it the College Football Throwdown. What we're really wanting to do, though, is to just talk college football, to record, if you will, the conversations that we have historically had over the years as uh, father and son, uh, both sharing a passion for the football, uh, the sport of college football. Uh, so a little bit uh, about uh, who we are, I guess, would be in order since this is the first one. That's uh, right. Why don't you, uh, well, you know what, I'll go ahead and go first and then, and then I'll let you go. Um, you know, I, I've been a college football fan since the uh, late 1960s. Uh, I am, um, I hail from uh, the small town of Grand Island, Nebraska. And so, of course, I am a Husker fan. Uh, and, um, and also, uh, uh, we currently reside in the, the beautiful town of Traverse City, Michigan, way up in the northern regions of Michigan, right along uh, the beautiful Lake Michigan. Uh, so that's that's something that uh, ha- has influenced us a little bit is that distance away from Nebraska. Uh, distance sometimes makes the heart grow fonder, and I've been a passionate fan my whole life and, and never lost that. So what we hope to accomplish is to uh, you know do a number of things, uh, uh, both about college football as a sport nationally, but also to talk about things related to, to my my passion, which is Nebraska football, a Big Ten conference, other conferences, uh, to really try to make this a, a broad-reaching thing. Alex, tell us a little bit about you. All right. Well, I grew up here in this home uh, hearing nothing more, nothing but uh, Nebraska football for my whole life. Oh, so you're saying you've been brainwashed. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, but it was a good type of brainwashing, you know. So growing up in Michigan, going to school in Michigan, I was the only one in class who rooted for Nebraska. Instead of, you know, U of M or MSU, you know, when the big uh, football Notre games Dame. or Notre Dame, when the big football games came around. Um, but I've grown to appreciate college football. I don't follow it nearly as closely as this guy does, but I like to watch the games, you know, get uh, watch the national championships when that comes around. Bowl season is always a good time to, like, catch the national games. Um, and I just recently graduated from college at Ohio University as a film major. And while I was there, I did um, over 70 podcasts of my own, an anime podcast called Shredded Cells, which is one of my other big interests. So I'm kind of showing my dad the ropes here yes. on how to do this whole podcasting thing. Exactly. So we're going to see how this goes. You're the technical brains, and, and I'm hoping to bring a little uh, historic perspective on the sport that uh, we both uh, uh, love to enjoy uh, together. So that's kind of a neat thing. And so one of the things that we would like to do is uh, uh, just kind of outline how we hope that these podcasts might go over time. Now, the expectation is it's, it's going to be a rare opportunity that uh, Alex and I will be together in the same room like we are today. Uh, he happens to be just, just uh, arriving back from college and has not yet embarked on uh, the next phase of his life. So we're lucky enough to be able to do it together. But eventually we will be doing this 
on a regular basis, I think, from different locations. And the hope would be that down the road we will also be able to bring others into the podcast, both um, friends of, of ours that share our passion for the sport, and we'll bring perspectives of different teams, different different eras, that sort of thing. So uh, I really do hope we can, you know, eventually get to all of those things. Uh, mm-hmm. But as a general rule, how, how do we want to line this thing up? Well, um, you know, one of the reasons why we're choosing to do this right now is uh, we're together, number one. Number two, um, we're within that 100-day time frame of the next football season. The 2015-2016 season is upon us in many regards. What we're going to be seeing is the the, the conference media days uh, are really not too far away. The, the meetings are happening now. The media days will be happening, and then before you know it, it'll be early August, and, and the pads will start to pop, and, and we'll be getting all geeked and excited. Now, how, how do we want to structure this? I think, I think the way I would like to see it go, Alex, is that uh, we would typically talk, talk about national type of issues, the things that are going on uh, across the landscape of college football, and then uh, kind of hone in, as we, if you will, uh, from there down into conference-type discussions, ultimately some mm-hmm. Big Ten lean in that kind of discussion, and then uh, certainly spend a good bit of time on uh, the Huskers as well, because obviously I'm not going to shy away from uh, you know full disclosure here that I am a rabid Cornhusker fan, but, but I'd like to think that I have a uh, a pretty good perspective on the national scene. I certainly have strong opinions about how I think the sport should move forward from here uh, and that sort of thing. And that's where I'm hoping maybe we'll eventually get some listeners and they'll want to <laughs> they'll want to chime in and, and they'll appreciate maybe some of the perspectives that we bring uh, and, and want to argue with us every now and then as well. That's where the college football throwdown comes in. Uh, we... Uh, our, our our goal uh, is to actually uh, evolve into a bit of a, um, a website that that focuses on some fun comparisons down the road uh, where we would take things. Uh, the first example that I can think of, and again, I'm going to use my Husker bias here, uh, is uh, the example of what are the two best punt returns hmm. ever in college football? And then put, put those side by side, kind of put descriptions up, of, of what transpired, what led up to that, what were the circumstances of the event, uh, of, of the punt return, that sort of thing. And, of course, from my perspective, uh, the Johnny the Jet Rogers uh, punt return <laughs> in the Oklahoma game, the game of the century back uh, in the early 70s, was one that will uh, always live with me. And uh, so that's one I love. But there are so many others, and I would love to do comparisons like that. Yeah. Well, when you said that, uh, the first thing I thought of was like, you know, doing one of those things where they like pit you know the 1995 huskers right. against you know one of the preeminent like michigan teams right. you know, or whatever mm-hmm. like from to- two totally different eras and say you know okay who would win you know do like some voting battle thing right right now another thing that i uh wanted to make sure that uh, we kind of included in this in this podcast is obviously you always have to have certain signature things i don't know whether it will ultimately be music or certain phrases or certain topics or whatever that we cover every time but uh one thing that i thought i uh, would be appropriate is that oftentimes when we are having these discussions i am enjoying a cold beverage and so i thought it would be appropriate for me to include that noise at the beginning of every podcast so that uh, 
that would be a known uh, quantity of every step in this uh, future. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. One one beer for every podcast. There episode. you go. Well, at least one. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to limit ourselves. Here. That's right. So, um, with regard to uh, what we wanted to talk about on this uh, initial podcast, you know, obviously we're we're working out the bugs here, uh, Mr. Technical Guy. Uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, but with less than a hundred days to go, it's like, what? Where are we at in the in the preparation for the season? That sort of thing. And a few topics that tend to be uh, hitting the hitting the mainstream right now are things like issues with regard to satellite camps that are that are occurring throughout the country right now where college football teams are allowed to travel to other states and uh, engage in relationships with uh, high school, a local high school, or a small college to share their facilities. And that therefore those facilities or those, those organizations obviously reap money because they pay rent. And in exchange for that, then they can invite local talent to come to that location uh, say in Louisiana or Texas or Georgia or Florida and go where a lot of athletes are and be able to host a camp. So, for example, uh, the University of Nebraska is hosting satellite camps throughout the, the south and southeast uh, this year. And also other teams are doing the same. Um, particularly a lot of the Big Ten schools are making a big emphasis to do that. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has gotten some attention at Michigan uh, for doing that as well. But a number of schools are doing it. Out uh, west, a few schools have already been doing this for a while in the Pac-12. It's completely legal according to the rules of the NCAA, but there are some people, obviously those who are in the south already, who who aren't too in favor of that. Well, coming from the Nebraska perspective, this actually seems like a good thing for us because this allows us to, you know, get into other states Mm -hmm. uh, to find new talent because we can't get all of our players from the state of Nebraska like some schools can in their respective states. And some people will probably, who listen to this uh, podcast, may think that that I'm beating the dead horse on that. But yes, that is a topic that I I will probably bring up a number of times is the, the, the challenges, really, that you face as a school with less population around you versus the schools that have a greater population around them and what you can do to overcome the deficit that that represents is just a fact and you have to figure out how are you going to overcome that Mm -hmm. so anyway uh i i think that this uh, whole concept of satellite camps there's a lot of objection to it because people don't like the intrusion uh, into their area if you will but uh, I would say that I believe it comes hand in hand with some other things. And if they ended up ultimately outlawing satellite camps because there is some uh, opposition to them, I would hope that it would also bring up some other key elements uh, of discussion on the issues of college football. Uh, if you're going to eliminate the signing, or excuse me, the satellite camps, then we need to be talking about some other key in equities that exist in college football mm-hmm. uh, structure right now, particularly as it relates to recruiting. And if, if you're going to um, limit the ability of a team uh, from a less populous state or a state that, that has less access to the kinds of athletes that make up uh, the premier athletes playing the sport of football, then let's do some things that help level that playing field just a little bit. For example, the, the idea that 
you cannot currently have official visits until the beginning of a student's senior year. So that does not allow uh, remote schools like a Nebraska or an Iowa or any of the, the, the schools that are in more remote areas to bring players in from all over the country and pay for those uh, students you know, to come mm -hmm. in and their parents. It's very important that their parents be able to come so that they can experience that, that relationship. You get into an area, and I'm not, this is not a north-south thing. This is about proximity to athletes and proximity to population. Uh, as an example, if you live in Toledo, Ohio, you could visit the University of Michigan, Michigan State, and Notre Dame all within a couple of days or a couple of weekends, and it's not much of a financial burden for your parents to be able to go with you to spend time on those three campuses. Uh, to an, uh, analogize that to a place like Nebraska, uh, there is not nearly the population uh, available for them to come into that convenient, let's call it, you know, two or 300 mile radius of the campus. Now, it would be ideal if, if a smaller school like Nebraska with lower population had that opportunity. So that's mm -hmm. just one of the examples. And I would love dialogue like that to be going on to try to help balance that, uh, that inequity, especially if they're worrying about satellite camps. <laughs> Right. You know, there certainly are bigger issues to be addressed than the satellite camps. I think you could certainly build the argument for that. Um, I was sort of wondering, when you talk about official visits, those are visits where you pay, the, the school pay for the travel of the family and all that. Is there anything else different about those visits in terms of, like, the coaches being there to guide the player through the campus uh, versus like a visit where, you know, Joe Schmo, who lives down the street from U of M, goes to, you know, visit. Like, is there any difference in terms of the experience they would oh, get? There is definitely a difference between a official visit and an unofficial visit in terms of some of the rules, some of the things you can and can't do. But there's an awful lot that you can do on an unofficial visit. Enough so that that's why this whole process, as, as the recruiting process has accelerated, um, it is becoming more prevalent that some of the best players in the country every year uh, commit, okay, make their evaluation process and commit to a school and start building a relationship with that school way earlier than it historically has happened. And as a result, before we as a smaller school with less population even have the opportunity to invite uh, a player say from Georgia or Florida or Louisiana to fly with their family to to Lincoln to evaluate the University of Nebraska and what it offers they don't even get that opportunity until uh, after the school year started and by then frankly many of them have already made up their mind or they're well on their way to building the relationships because they've been able to vi visit these other campuses that are in greater proximity to themselves many, many times. Mm -hmm. And now that television is a fairly equitable thing where almost everyone who is uh, at, a, at a major five, uh, a, a big five conference um, uh, school already has excessive uh, exposure on television, there's just not as much, you know? Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, a, that's a key issue, I think, for schools like us. And, and, and if we're going to be talking about equity, it's things like that and things like over-signing 
where some uh, differences exist between the conferences and how they uh, interpret uh, or allow uh, 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 signing to occur as far as the number of scholarship athletes can, that can be signed. Everybody follows the same rules uh, with regard to the number of scholarships that they can ultimately have on their team as of August 1st or 2nd or 3rd, whenever they start fall camp. In fact, I, I think the actual official rule has to do not even with fall camp, but, but with the start of school. Um, so so it, it's really crazy the variations that exist between the different conferences. And I think that those conferences need to get together and have some discussions that would lead to more of a uh, consistent rule. And the, the reality is, is that there is disagreement on that. Uh, the Big Ten, for example, um, has a much more stringent set of rules on that because they want to protect the student athlete. Whereas, uh, so they go above and beyond what the what the letter of the law, the NCAA, requires. And as such, frankly, the Big Ten is putting themselves at a great disadvantage in the recruiting game. Now, that's a choice the Big Ten's making. They could choose to liberalize their rules and follow rules that some of the other conferences do uh, that give them a little bit more flexibility for managing rosters. But fundamentally, there are some real issues about what's the right thing to do for the student-athlete and what's fair to the kids. And that's where the, the debate needs to happen, and it needs to be something that I think is very out in the open, very much transparent, you know, that, that because I think a lot of times uh, some of these bad uh, um, examples that you hear, those things could be avoided, and those young people need and their parents need to be educated about what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's the whole debate about them being student athletes versus them being uh, at, uh, NFL athletes in training, <laughs> you know, as it were. Absolutely, and a lot of people will will like to have the debate about the the hypocrisy of of college athletics at the at the uh, you know h- highest level. And, and certainly that's a debate that's worth having. Um, there are issues with that. But I, I'm a believer. I still hold to the ideal, uh, a little bit of the, the a purist, you might say. So anyway, that's kind of the way I view it. And, and we'll get into greater detail about that uh, in future podcasts, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, c- conference games, how many conference games, that's a big discussion right now. There are differences between the different conferences as to how many conference games they play. And some have an argument that there should be more conference games. Others choose to have less. As long as you have those variations, it makes it very difficult to do an effective comparison between the different... What am I trying to say? I'm losing it. Uh, well, <laughs> between it's a whole, the different conferences, you know, because teams tend to schedule their non-conference schedule with relatively weak teams, except you for know, maybe one tougher opponent, right? Or you know, especially since those games are usually at the beginning of the year before the conference season starts. So you want to get off to, you know, not the most difficult start on game one. There are exceptions to that rule, of course, you know. But like I know there was some. Um, there was some uh, pushback against the Big Ten going to ten. Did they go from nine. eight to nine or eight nine to, to ten? Eight to nine. Eight to nine conference yeah. games, and some coaches were upset about that. Well, and and there are there are other coaches from other conferences who didn't do that, who have been very vocal. Even Nick Saban, for example, in Alabama, would like very much to go to nine, but but his conference, the the SEC, 
chose not to go to nine. They chose to stay at eight. I actually think that unless everybody's going to nine or ten or some number, uh, I think it's a huge advantage to stay at eight. The, the, the fewer conference games you have, the enhances your ability to schedule wins. And ultimately, if you're not beating each other up, then your overall conference records are going to look more attractive. If you are playing conference games, somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. So the number of wins and losses, you're adding losses to uh, your conference as a whole. For example, in a non-conference slate, like you pointed out, oftentimes the the uh, opponents aren't always the most challenging. And so it's not uncommon to watch a, a, a given conference for example, the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, any of the Big Five there, um, any of those those conferences on a given week in the fall will probably go like uh, 80% victories, mm-hmm. where 80% of the teams or more win their, con- win their non-conference games, right? So then fast forward to conference week. When you're playing a conference, it's 50-50. 50 win, 50 lose, right? right? So it's a very different set of circumstances. And so at the end of the year, all of a sudden you have more teams with that third or fourth loss because you played an extra conference game. So I would rather see that be consistent. I understand the philosophy of wanting to play your conference brethren as much as possible, that that makes the, the fight for the conference championship more legitimate the more games you're playing against each other. You're really deciding who is the best among that group, right? Mm-hmm. And so I prefer that, but it's hard. I, I mean, I understand why people stay at eight. There's money involved. There's you know, funding of programs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The other the debate I would throw back at that, though, is that um, overall it probably hurts your overall, uh, the overall view of your conference because, like you said, you're beating up on each other you know, for one more week of games. Right. Um, but if a team rises out of that you know, and has won all or all but one of their conference games you know, and like, wins their conference champion and like, they're in the conversation for the national, the national championship you know, and with this um, new system of the, what's it called, the, uh, the National Championship Conference or Committee, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the committee. The, yes. Yeah, right. The college football championship right. committee. The the committee um, would definitely, I think, would look at you know two different schools who had gone through you know won their conference champions. But if this guy had won nine games of his conference championship, where they as the other one had won, you know, eight, eight within his conference, you know, maybe that gives him a bit of an edge in the strength of schedule maybe, battle. Maybe, but there's more to it than just that. I mean, that that's going to affect four teams every year because we have a four team playoff. Now, what about all the other? teams as, as they're lining up to align themselves with bowl games. And all of a sudden, the bowl game is looking at a 10-2 SEC team versus a 9-3 and three, uh, Pac-12 team and trying to decide which team they're going to invite to their bowl game. Well, because the Pac-12 team played an extra conference game, you think they're going to get credit for that? Or are they going to go with the team that... Yeah. That went that won ten games and is ranked higher because the 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 human rankings still are going to put favor in teams that lose fewer games. That is a reality of that that voting process. Mm-hmm. It's true, and in that sort of situation, it would obviously depend on like the margin of loss, you know, and how tough the extra team they played was, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but, right, right. It, but it becomes a debate about that. Then, like, I have three losses, but. Does the fact that I played a tougher schedule 
hypothetically than the 10 win team me and i still deserve to play so yeah it's yeah a, it's an interesting debate it is have. and so those are some things that hopefully we'll be able to discuss uh, over these next podcasts and as well as others and if we ever again start to get some some people who listen to this thing and want to send in a, a question we're going to have to get ourselves an email uh so that people can go to that. Actually, one that I can give you right now would be huskerpete13 at gmail.com. Huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You wonder why I have the number 13 in there? It's because I, I'm the 13th child in my family. So we are uh, used to having debates and arguments in a family of that size. So if you if you if you're here out there in the in the internet world in the in the Google universe, uh, then uh, give us a, a shout. In the tubes of the interwebs. That's right. So uh, uh, that that kind of covers a little bit of some of the things, and obviously we'll go uh, far afield from those topics. But the idea would be to to enter into some interesting discussion and debate uh, about how we can uh, both improve the sport as well as maybe address some of the inequities that exist in how we go about selecting uh, our champion and the other significant winners, if you will, of the college football landscape. Uh, and that goes all the way to the whole issue of conference championship games, which is another topic that I'm very fond of, yes. and we will talk about <laughs> uh, at length over time. Now, uh, we also will talk a little bit about the Big Ten Conference, and, and obviously that is the conference that uh, our favorite team is in, but it's also, uh, I think there are implications to uh, all the conferences across the, the country, and I think we'll be able to enter into a number of very interesting and insightful discussions about the differences between the conferences and the decisions that they make and maybe where their motivations come from, as well as uh, looking at maybe the impact or the history of what happened after certain decisions were made. And that's where I hope to be able to bring a little bit of perspective because I've, I've been following this sport fairly closely, like I said, since the late 1960s in the late era of, uh, of Bob Devaney at Nebraska and when we were just emerging as a, as a, a bit of a national power. power. Right. So there's a lot of history there. And then ultimately, uh, we'll filter down from the Big Ten Conference in to talk about the, the Huskers specifically and you know our opponents, our fans, that sort of thing. Uh, we'll try to do that too. You know? so, so we're going to hit it at a bunch of different levels and see what people think um, and uh, as well uh, put a little um, uh, recording of posterity or for posterity of our own uh, conversations and debate. That's right. So, uh, but back to the Big Ten Conference for just a little bit. You know, uh, as we look at the, the division uh, of the schools and that sort of stuff, there's been a great deal of conversation about the relative strengths of East versus West in the Big Ten. And uh, I, I share some of the concerns that have been voiced by a number of people about that. And we had the Legends and the Leaders Division, which was des designed and... and, and created not for geographic convenience, but, but in an effort to try to put a balance to the strengths of the two conferences or, or divisions of the conference. The historical powerhouses. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I believe that that would have done a pretty good job of creating that balance. I thought that they had accomplished that, even though 
uh, geographically, it wasn't uh, obvious, right? Mm-hmm. But now we've uh, moved beyond that, partially because there was such a gross criticism from the national media. This is another topic I probably should mention, <laughs> is that not always a big fan of the national media and their perspective. It, it, I believe that they, they often bring such an incredible um, bias to what they discuss and how they discuss it. And now there's a difference here. I'm going to bring a bias but I'm going to admit to that bias up front, and, and I'm going to share everything with full disclosure of that bias. What frustrates me and what I will argue against quite regularly is the fact that so often we have some real powerhouses in the media, and those powerhouses, both in written and the uh, television and radio media, all tend to pro- proclaim a certain objectivity about the sport that I believe is totally false. (laughs) And I I just wish that those entities and individuals would be more willing to raise their hand and admit their biases so that the debate could be argued uh, transparently with those biases recognized and acknowledged. Yeah. Well, it almost kind of reminds me of like movie reviewers. You know, we talk about there being objective criticism in film and things like that. But the reality of the matter is, is that no one like film critic is totally um, objective about what they say and do. You know, everyone's going to come with their own personal biases. You know, just the movies that they've seen, their particular tastes. You know, is going to influence what they think about a movie or whatever. You know, right. and they can take a certain amount of that out of their thoughts. You know, and try to be more objective. But a certain amount of relativistic opinion is never going to be lost. So. What I, and the same could be said for like video game reviews, you know, anything like that. So what I always try to do is like, I try to seek out like multiple opinions on, you know, a a movie or a video game or, you know, even in, you know, uh, actual like uh, news like Fox, CNN, you know, it's sometimes it's good to get multiple perspectives from the different stations on an issue so that you can get, uh, understand that each of them are coming with a bias and then maybe from all those multiple sources you can find something that is more close to being that objective truth well and that's similarly with the sportscasters you know if you listen right. to a bunch of different people who have you know they have differing opinions right. and you know views on the sport then you might come to something that gives you a more broader understanding of the subject right and, and and obviously you can do that but in the game or in the sport of football i would i would suggest to you that that there's two things one when people come to you with this uh, attitude and and perspective that claims or appears to claim objectivity, like obviously we're speaking for the national view of uh, a certain uh, issue or a certain school or whatever, I would rather they admit their biases. And this goes to biases relative to the actual media product, i.e. major players like ESPN who are blatantly uh, guilty of promoting their product, whatever they're covering, and diminishing that which is being broadcast on other stations, which is so sad because I was able to enjoy the the, the birth of ESPN and, and to observe its growth. And in its, in its early years, it was just a bunch of... Uh, people who were passionate about the sport uh, or sports in general 
and they were genuinely willing to cover anything and everything objectively because they had very little product that they owned the rights to, uh, other than like the uh, uh, tree cutting contests in the <laughs> Pacific Northwest and things like that. So, uh, uh, but once, but in this day and age, I wish they would acknowledge some of the clear biases that show up in their in their coverage and 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 where they spend their time in their conversation which they claim it's because this is what people are interested in, when it's really not about that. It's about these are the major games that we're covering this week or this is the major conferences that we have deep financial relationships with and therefore we're going to promote them as opposed to it truly being, oh, we're doing this just because it's popular to talk about because they beat a lot of dead horses. I mean, beat them to death. And it's absurd and it's not about... This is what people want to talk about. There's so many other things that that true fans like myself and I think many, many millions of other fans who love the sport would rather talk about. But they choose to, to define the debate because they're quite a powerful force. Now, I will admit similarly that organizations such as the Big Ten Network, the SEC Network, the new Pac-12 uh, series of networks uh, are all uh, equally biased, if you will. Uh, it's just that I think the conferences tend to be a little more honest about their bias as opposed to ESPN and and Fox and uh, NBC Sports and some of these other organizations. So that's kind of my take on that yeah. in, the, in a nutshell. Our media sidetrack yes. there. There we go. <laughs> Tangent. Tangent. Okay, we got to do one more of these. Oh. <laughs> oh, was that a little too loud? A little, little too loud. <laughs> Well, you'll take care of that, Mr. Technology Guy. Uh-huh. I'll work on it. Okay. so uh, We were talking about the division of the Big Ten. Yeah, we were talking about the division of the Big Ten. And bottom line with that is I'm, I'm disappointed as a Nebraska fan because one of the things I was most excited about when we made the decision to leave our historic relationships with the original Big Eight schools, uh, going back even to the Big Six, when we chose to leave that, one of the things I could hang my hat on and be excited about was that I was moving in, or we were moving into a conference that was going to lead us into relationships with some great traditional powers, and we were going to be able to reestablish uh, some of those kinds of marquee games and, and, and environments. And we aren't able to do that now uh, because all of a sudden we've divided ourselves geographically and we've been put into a division that clearly does not have the cachet of the other side of the division. And Nebraska's been there and done that with the Big 12 North and Big 12 South. When we did that division, uh, Texas successfully uh, um, arranged for uh, that division to occur and for the longstanding great rivalry of Oklahoma-Nebraska to become diminished to the point where it was a shell of its former self because of that division and the fact that we didn't play every year and it was no longer towards the end of the season when it was the most significant. So I'm very disappointed that we then, after just a short couple of years in the Big Ten, find ourselves in a very similar situation. Now, there is a, there's a positive side that many people would place on this, and that mm -hmm. positive side says, well, you don't have those perennial powers to fight against to get to the division championship. And there's truth in that. There's absolutely truth in that. But I would argue that uh, to be able to recruit, you have to be able to claim and, and, and invite uh, student-athletes that if you come to our university, you're going to be regularly playing in the venues that people grow up dreaming about. 
right? Like the big house. like the big house, like Ohio State's Memorial Stadium. I mean, those are big deals. Penn State's Beaver Stadium, big big deals. Okay, uh, those are those are nationally relevant games in the um, the iconic history of the sport, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have that ability to claim that we're going to be able to do that every year. Now, will it still happen with some frequency? Absolutely. But if you're a if you're a premier athlete who has all the choices, everybody wants you, okay. And one school saying you're going to be able to go to Ohio State Stadium once, or we'll play Ohio State, but we're going to play them in Lincoln, and then we'll never get the return trip because the schedule in your four years doesn't accommodate that, mm-hmm. or you don't get to see it at all because it's not even on the schedule for four years. Although on the other hand, and this might be a recruiting tactic that we'll have to wait and see on because we need to develop more years within this new division. Right. But you could bring the argument to the fact that, yes, we're we're in the less strong division, but as a result of that, you know, we play a relatively weaker conference schedule compared to those other teams, and thus we're able to make it to the Big Ten Championship games more often, you know, for the past Correct. X number of years. Nebraska's been to that national championship game. Now, have we won it every time? Eh, maybe, no. maybe not. Right. But the point is, I uh, can get you to the Big Ten Championship right. and to play for those big games, well, potential recruit. I, I, exactly. And that is exactly the message that Nebraska and the other uh, Western com- uh, Division teams are going to have to have when they're in that discussion. I think the strategy that uh, Nebraska appears to be employing right now is actually probably the better uh, strategy or one of the best strategies that they could which is to truly focus on the message of playing at Nebraska uh, and, and within the Big Ten Conference collectively. And they're targeting areas, frankly, that are not heavily, heavily dosed in the Big Ten footprint. Now, in the early years of the Big Ten Conference affiliation for Nebraska, we were heavy in the Big Ten footprint. We were going after a lot of players from Ohio because of our coaches, um, uh, Bo Pelini's history there, being a, a, a Youngstown native and playing at Ohio State. He had connections, so so there you go. So, um, um, but b- bottom line is, is now we are tending to focus on more of a national footprint as well as a a, a, a local focus on our own 500 mile radius which I think is actually the right strategy for Nebraska to make, given the, the, the setup of the two divisions. Mm-hmm. It's our only choice, frankly. Right. Well, and um, our new coach, I assume he's bringing in quite a few ties from the Pac-12 as well, like some West Coast talent that he could draw from. Yes, West Coast, Texas, and, and, and the uh, coaching staff has a number of connections. But we're not diving in to the Big Ten footprint and, and, and hanging our hat on recruiting Ohio, for example, right along elbow to elbow uh, with every recruit for uh, with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, etc. We're just not we're gonna we're gonna target those areas, but it's not gonna be uh, our bell cow. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the right thing. It's frankly the only choice we have. I would have preferred that we if we had had a more equitable divisional setup, we could do that. But I'm gonna go back to a point you made. It's one thing to win your division and play in that championship game, but if you are always getting your ass kicked in that game, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Which is the problem we had in the Big 12 for a number of years. Well, and, and well, not, not that we were getting our ass kicked, because those games were all close, but, but, but the bottom line was uh, there was a string of years in which the Big 12 South began to win every single one of those games. And similarly, I could see that evolving in this Big 10 setup where when we look back, 
six, seven, eight years from now, how many times is a team from the Big Ten West, whether it's Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, any of the teams that you might now consider on the higher end of that, of that division, playing against Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, or Michigan, how game. often are they going to play that game and win? Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen that often. And so if that starts to go on a string where it all leans to one side, then all of a sudden the premier recruiting, that, that separation, it gets worse. Yeah. Or well, better if you're if you're already on the east. Right. Side. Which is why Nebraska needs to make a quick turnaround here with this new coach and win that game one time. And then we'll have a absolutely a genuine argument. And if we and if we can successfully do that and continue to to um, you know invest in these fertile recruiting areas that are not necessarily part of the Big Ten footprint, then I think we'll be in great shape. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Yeah. Anyway, so there's a, a little dalliance of things do you have something that uh, anything that uh, you would want to ask or throw into this thing no i thought this was a pretty good uh pilot episode of college football throwdown we did get to the nebraska specific discussion but i think we can save that for the next one i think that uh, we can and and it's interesting uh there'll be so many topics to that come up and and i hope that uh those of you who might listen to this uh enjoy the conversation and um uh, give us a, a shout. I'm going to say it one more time. HuskerPete13 at gmail.com. HuskerPete13 at gmail.com. Give us a shout. Thanks for listening. All right. See you later. Go Big Red. <laughs> Woohoo!